Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Welcome. Uh, and uh, I'm really glad to be here with you guys. Have a great class, kids. Enjoy your time down there. Um, we are starting a new series today. Um, we just finished up, as, as John mentioned last week, our series through the uh, book of Job and tough stuff. And this week, uh, we're beginning a new series called We Are Cultivate that is uh, essentially a series that we're going to be doing for the next six weeks where we're going to be talking through our foundations as a church. Who we are, what we're about, um, how, how we give our lives to this, what does it look like to be all in, uh, what is our strategy and structure as a church to accomplish what God has called us to do as a church, all, all those kinds of things. So we're going to take six weeks to unpack that. Um, and so it's pretty significant for us. We try to do this once a year where we go back to uh, who we are and what we do so that all of us, again, are refreshed on these things so that we remember what uh, life in our, in our body looks like uh, and what we're about, where we're going. Uh, and so if you're new, this will be uh, new to you probably in, in some ways. If you've been around for several years, a lot of these concepts are going to be familiar to you. But regardless of where you're coming from in terms of this series, all of us need to, to re-believe and, re- and be renewed in the knowledge of who God has made us to be and where he's called us to be. So um, just as a word of encouragement to you as we start this series, if you're not in a Cultivate community already, please get in one. Uh, so we have uh, a, about eight of them, maybe seven once, the, once two of those groups merge. Um, that are around our area, and, uh, and many of those groups have openings and availabilities, please get yourself into one because, number one, there's two reasons. The first one is you cannot live out what we, are, what we believe we're called to as a church without being in one. We can't. Sunday is great, and we celebrate what God is doing, and, and we, we get to hear again where God is moving us and how he's equipping us. But Sunday is not sufficient to live out the calling that God has given us as a church. Uh, And so that has to happen in a smaller group of people where you're walking through life with them. And the second reason is that uh, throughout this series, uh, our groups, I'm I'm encouraging all of our Cultivate communities to be uh, walking through each week as we walk through it to say, how are we going to live this out together? And so as we come especially to our identities in Christ being family, disciple, and missionary. That's who God has made us to be, and we'll talk about that more starting next week. But our groups are going to be getting together and going, okay, if we're the family of God, how will we love one another as brothers and sisters? How will we care for each other? Same thing for disciples. If we're disciples of Jesus who are learning what it means to grow up to maturity in Christ, then how are we going to help one another do that? And what are some of the specific areas that we feel like God is calling us to over the next several months that we want to grow in, that we feel like he wants us to grow in. And the same thing with the missionary identity. So you can't do that unless you're part of the conversation because you won't be able to walk these things out on your own. Does that make sense? So if you need help with that, we have a connection center in the, uh, in the lobby area with a computer in the city, and there's a roster of uh, a map of all of our, our community groups. So take that next step, okay? And there's a wonderful group meeting today to, to kick it off. 
Yeah. <laughs> so where do we begin? Um, it's a big task to talk about who we are as a church and what we're called to do. Um, and so why don't we begin with the, the thing that's been really true of us since the very beginning um, that we've had as part of our foundation as a church and look at the foundational statement that we believe God led us to as a church five years ago. So we, we if you don't know this, we began, it's going to be five years coming up in January. First Sunday in January, mark your calendars because we're having a five-year celebration. So that's going to be a really great time, and I'm looking forward to celebrating that. But this is, this is the statement that kind of kicked off what it means for us to be this thing called Cultivate Church, and it's this, that we are all about this, growing communities rooted in Christ that produce fruit for the good of the garden state. That's who we are. So you might have seen the, the tagline in terms of our, our, our name called Deep Roots, Rich Fruit. That's where it comes from. We want to we be a community of communities. Think of it as a family of families that keep reducing, producing healthy families and those families are rooted in, in something that, that produces fruit that impacts and has an effect on and blesses and ultimately is for the good of the garden state that we're called to be. So the, the way that we talk about that vision is, that, is, is essentially kind of like the garden state. I don't know if you know why New Jersey is called the garden state, but the reason that it's called the garden state is because, lo and behold, it used, used to, still does, but not quite as many, have a bunch of gardens and orchards and things that produce great fruit and vegetables for the Northeast. And at the centennial of the, of the, U, the U.S., there was someone who was describing and talking about New Jersey, and he said, this is what New Jersey is like. It is like a barrel that's full of produce, and it's open on both ends, and there's so much being produced in the state of New Jersey that New Jersey can't consume it all, and it pours out of both ends, one side on Philadelphia and the other side on New York. And those cities are blessed because of New Jersey and the fact that it's there. That was the intention for the Garden State. Now, is New Jersey, does New Jersey continue to have that kind of rep when it comes to our country? No, right? What's interesting is it's, it's in a sense... This idealistic statement about what New Jersey was intended to be that's been corrupted and and shortchanged over time, and now it's the most densely populated, one of the highest taxed, one of the most corrupt governments and states in our nation. But what if, what if God called a group of people within that broken world, in that broken system, to essentially be what the nation perceived the garden state to be, that it wasn't being produced by the people that are there because they're just such great people, but because God himself is at work in that group of people, rooting them in something called the good news of the gospel so that their very lives produce blessing for the good of the garden state and beyond. That is who we are. That is what we're about. We want to see community after community families of disciples on mission who are making disciples of Jesus in everyday stuff of life, continuing to grow and then multiply over and over and over again so that the Garden State one day would say, you know what, we have been changed because of this good news and this person called Jesus. It's a massive 
vision, right? That's why I say it takes more than just Sunday to accomplish it. Because we gather as a church in order to remember that that's who we are, but there needs to be a time when we go as the church into the world to do what we've been called to do. That's who we are as, as a church. And we believe everything within us, that's who God made us to be from the very beginning, and that has not changed a single day in the last five years. So, how do we do that? Because that's a big undertaking, is it not? I mean, it's, it's hard to even wrap your mind around it. And here's the thing. As we're starting to think about this, how do we possibly give our lives to something like this? It actually doesn't begin with us. It can't begin with us. Because here's the, the reality. You and I aren't capable of it. Right? I mean, I know my own limitations. I am not capable of producing that kind of fruit, of having that kind of fruitful life. But guess what? I know the one who is. And Jesus said, if you're going to have a life that's fruitful in everything that you do, you need to be plugged into the right source. And he says this in John 15:5. Guess what? I'm the source. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. So if you remain in me and I in you, guess what will happen? You'll bear fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. So it can't begin with us. We need to have deep roots in the person and the work of Jesus Christ if we expect anything of real lasting value to happen, both in our lives and in the lives of those that we hope to affect. It has to start with Him. See, If we don't start with what God has done, then what we do as a church, it's going to have to be based on our own power, and ultimately it will be for our own purposes. We desire, this is our desire, is to be rooted in God's power and God's purposes, because everything that we do is to be about and for Jesus, which means that we need Jesus to do it. So as a church, we're to be a people whose salvation, whose identity, whose purpose are increasingly formed by Jesus' presence and His work and His Word. And so the way that we grow is first by sinking our roots down deep into this good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We've got to start there. The other way to say it is, and you've probably heard me say this on a number of occasions, that the gospel must be the center of everything that we do as a community. It's not just the, the way that you come to faith in the past and then we move on to other things. No, this good news of the gospel is the thing that keeps saving us and will save us in the end. So how do we, how do we start to wrap our minds around that? Well, Paul starts to talk about the gospel in Romans 1. And this is what he says about this deep roots that we have. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So what is Paul talking about there? He's saying that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. In other words, it's God's power to save us. If you wanted a summary statement of what it means to, to say what the gospel is, it's God's power to save. 
And that means if we're going to be the kind of people that brings good news and bears fruit into a broken and dead world, especially one as broken and dead as New Jersey, and I say that somewhat facetiously, but, but realize that um, there are no more than 3% evangelical Christians in, in our part of the world. No more than 3%. According to all the studies, that's the highest number. And in some counties, it's lower than that. The, the network that we're a part of, the one that sends missionaries to all across the globe, calls that a very specific title. It's, you know what it's called? An unreached people group. That's where we live. That's who we're among. We're not the majority. We are by far the minority. And, and God is not okay with New Jersey itself not experiencing the good news of what He so sacrificially gave to the world for them to experience and for us to experience. See, we're going to need something more than just ourselves to bring to it. We're going to need more than just our power to do it. Because God is the only one who truly saves anyone. If you're in Christ, you did not save yourself. I mean, for years, when I, after I came to faith in Christ, I was under the delusion that somehow it was my belief that kind of like persuaded God to love me. And it, but as the years kind of ticked on, I started to look back at the even the seasons that led up to me believing in Christ, and I was like, how foolish and dumb was I to think that I was the one who was doing all of that? It was God who was drawing me. It was God who was saving me the whole time. And it's God who continues to do that work. And so our church, who we are, is not based on what we do or how well we perform or how good we are. It's based on who we believe in and what He can do. And so Paul says, if you... If you want to live a fruitful life, which he, he calls righteousness, if you've never heard of that term before, think of it like right useness. Okay? So like having a right use for your life. The way that God intended you to live out your life, the way that He empowered you to do that, a fruitful life. Guess where it comes from? It comes through faith. It comes from first to last, which means the entirety of your life as a believer in Jesus is about faith in God and His power to save you. It's not that we begin with faith and then go on to trying really hard, or that we trust God and then we start trusting ourselves over time. No, it starts with God saving, it continues with Him saving, and ultimately it ends with Him saving us. He puts it this way to the Philippian church in verse 2, or chapter 2. He says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. See, I, I don't know if you thought of it this way before, because we, I, I always tend to think that like, in order for God to use me and empower me in terms of my actions, I need to be the one to muster up the will to do it. Like, I've got to be the one that desires what He desires so that He can use me. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, guess what? God is the one who empowers what you do. He's also the one who can give you the, the, the want to do it. So even if you're sitting here and you're going, I don't even know if I want to do it. Guess what? God can save you from that too. 
It's amazing, isn't it? Even if you think, for, for years, I've been apathetic to what God has been up to. God can rescue you from that today. He can. And He wants to. So we're going to talk about the Gospel today as being our deep roots. And we're going to talk about it in, in three ways. In a past sense of what God has done. In a present sense of what God is doing. And in a future sense of what God will do. These are three ways to think through God's saving work in us. So we have to start here as a church. So what have we been saved from? What's the past work of the Gospel? Well, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. This is the part of the Gospel that most of us have heard or understand in some way. Um, but if you keep reading in Romans when he talks about this is the Gospel is the power of God for salvation, he goes on to say this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. I think, okay, that doesn't sound like very good news. Like you just said... The word gospel means good news. But now we're talking about wrath. What is up with that? See, if the gospel is good news of God's power to save, it implies that we need saving from something, doesn't it? I mean, I've heard people say, you know, talk about how they're, they're saved, they're saved, they're saved. But from what? What are we saved from? Do we realize we need to realize that we need saving from something if if we're going to have hope and 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 joy over the thing that we've been saved from. We haven't just been saved to something, we've been saved from something. And so there's good news, but first we have to understand that there's a big problem that we need saving from, that even though God made the world in such a way that everyone would know what he's like, that he's clearly displayed his character and his power in the, in the way that he put the world together, that all of it shouts for his glory. It says, the Bible says that even if we never said anything about the glory of God, the rocks themselves would cry out who he is. The world is made in such a way that we're to, to look at it and go, wow, that's what God is like. Look at the mountains, look at the oceans, look at the universe, look at the stars in the sky. It all says who he is and what he's like. It's amazing. And yet Paul goes on to say that even though we all understand that, even though we've all seen it and we should give God honor because of it, we actually suppress that knowledge in our hearts. We push it down as if it didn't exist and we choose to worship God's creation rather than Him as the one who created it. And all of us have done this, by the way, including myself, we chose to walk away from Him and put our faith in other things other than Him. Even though He's the only one that can save us. Even though He's the only one that has the power to do that. We think over and over again, well, other things can take His place and can do it just as well. And you think, oh, that, well, I've never done that. Well, what about if you put your faith in what you can do? What about if you thought that you were significant because of the job that you have? Or think that you're worthy of something because of the skills that you possess? 
or the experience that you've gained for yourself. And you look down on other people because they don't have the same skills and experience that you have. That is defining yourself by what you can do rather than who you were made to be. So what if you say, well, who I am is a product of what other people have done to me. And because they didn't treat me very well or because I, I was persecuted or oppressed or, or, or even worse, I am who I am now because of what they've done to me. That is putting more faith and trust, more belief, more of, your, of who you are in your existence on what others have done rather than the Creator and who He's made you to be. And God desperately wants to rescue you from that. See, we do it all the time. We put our faith and our hope and our abilities and our job and our skills or on a loved one or on a, a dating relationship or a spouse or on our kids and we say, I'm a good person because my kids turned out okay. That's who I am. See, it's an exchange. We exchange the, the truth of who God is and what He's made us to be for a lie which says we can earn for ourselves another standing before Him before others, or before ourselves. And God says, for that exchange, wrath is actually what is being revealed. See, wrath is just God's divine justice for rebellion. It's the due penalty for our walking away from Him. You think, well, how is that revealed? Well, look at the world. I mean, we already talked about New Jersey. Does it operate as it should? Is there justice and peace that flows throughout the land? Are the poor cared for and lifted up? Are those that are, 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 are on the margins of society valued and cared for and brought into the center and treated as family? Or is there corruption and hatred and, and greed and pride and division and racism? Which is more true? You think, well, okay, if all of those things are true in the world, where is God's justice? Where is God's justice then? If, if He's allowing all of that to happen, well, that's where it comes back to His wrath being revealed. Because guess what? God is actually being gracious to us by revealing to all of us what it looks like when the world is not submitted to Him as the King of Kings. He's turning us over to what the world would look like and does look like when we've rebelled from God and God says, okay, if you want it your way, here's what it looks like. That's, that's what we're experiencing in this world. And we go, okay, well, if, if God is a God of grace and love, why doesn't He come in and wipe away all the injustice? Why doesn't He do away with all of it in a moment if He's that powerful? Because here's the truth. If He were to do that today we would be wiped away as well because the problem is within our hearts. It's within us. It's not just an out there problem in the world. And man, aren't we the good people in the church building that aren't susceptible to all those things? No, we are by nature included in that work. We've done the exchange ourselves. And for that, we deserve what the rest of the world deserves, which is God's infinite justice poured out for those things. That's you and me. And if we don't realize that, that all of us have done this, 
then the good news will not be good to us. See, all of us have believed lies about God. We've worshipped other things. And so Ephesians 2 says this, As for you, and he's speaking to believers in Jesus. And so for, for many of us, that's us this morning. As for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of what? Wrath. We deserved it. And we were hopeless in it. I hope you aren't here today thinking that, well, like the, the whole reason that you could come to church and be part of this thing and be a believer of Jesus is, is so that you can figure out some way to incrementally improve your life over time so that things can get a little bit better so that you can become just a little bit better of a person. Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not the way it works. You were dead. How much ability does a dead person have to change their circumstances? I mean, if you see somebody in a casket and you go, hey, you don't look so hot. Get it together a little bit. You can improve your circumstances. You can make things a little bit better today. You can have your best life now. Just just work at it a little bit. No, no, no. That's who we are, apart from Him. See, if we don't realize this, that we were once God's enemies, that we were once deserving of wrath for rebellion against the giver of life, that we've done the exchange ourselves, then the good news will never be that good for you. You'll you'll walk around thinking that God's nice. He's not just nice. God is merciful and He's gracious and He's loving even to those who don't deserve it, even to those who reject Him and spit on Him. He still cries out on your behalf, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. You need to understand that our problem between us and God was so great that we have absolutely no ability to save ourselves from it. It's such a big problem that God had to take the most drastic measure available to Him in order to deal with it. See, and if you don't believe that, that He takes this problem of sin that seriously, that He sacrificed what was so precious to Him, then you'll never appreciate what you have in Christ. But if you are in Christ and you do believe that, and, and, and you're starting to believe it even more, then listen to these words that Paul says in Ephesians 2. Because he says, this is who we were. We were objects of wrath. And yet, Because of His great love for us. You know how great God's love is for you. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace, it is a gift to you that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Do you you know why God saves you? It's to show off how great He is. To show off how merciful He is. And this mercy is expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. There's that belief again, right? 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, it wasn't that God was searching throughout the earth looking for a few good people. And he stumbled on us and was like, wow, look at this group. Man, they've got something to offer. (laughs) Look how great they are. Look at the resources they have. Look at the wisdom. Look at the kindness and the love and the mercy and the goodness. No, 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 no. He wasn't saying any of those things. God came after his enemies. And he said, I'm going to love you at the cost of my most precious possession. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, that is Jesus, his own son, who had no sin, who never rebelled against God, who always did what was good, right, and perfect, to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See, at the cross, Jesus took on your sin and mine. He satisfied the wrath and He gave us sonship instead. See, and at the cross, God takes on the thing that He hates more than anything else in all the world, which is rebellion against Him. And Jesus goes to the cross and He says, I who have lived a perfect life will take the blame so that they will be forgiven so that, God, you will love them with the same love that you've loved me, so that they could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So that we who are enemies of God, children of wrath, can become children of God through no merit of our own. See, nothing that we could do could ever separate us from this love either. Because if God is the one that secures it, He's the one who continues it. And so, even though I was foolish early in my life and think that it it was something that I did myself, I needed to realize over time that it was something that God did and what that brought was security into my life. Because if God was the one that could do it, He's the one who'll continue it. So I don't need to worry about walking away from Him anymore because God will continue to pursue me just as He pursued me early on in my life. This is incredible good news, is it not? So let me ask this. We talk about implications a lot. And we dialogue here if, you're, if you're, you're new to us. What would be the evidence or some of the evidences of us if we really truly believed this? That we are saved from the penalty of sin. What would, what would start to manifest itself in our lives? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we desire the same thing for them. We pray for them. Ask God to do the same saving work in their lives. Good. Yeah. Why, why would we forgive ourselves? That's an interesting statement. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what the, the inability to forgive yourself is? It's the belief that you are more powerful than God. It's pride, actually. It's us saying that my ability to forgive myself is more powerful, more central to who I am as a person than God's ability to forgive me. And so, I, instead of clinging to His uh, freedom and joy that brings life and, and renewal to my heart, I cling to shame and I cling to hiddenness 
God has rescued you from that if you're in Christ Jesus. So there's no, there's no way that we should possibly consider ourselves more powerful than God. And so I just, if, if that's where you are this morning, I, I should want to call you to repentance over that particular issue. Repentance is simply believing something new that you didn't believe before about God. I want you to call... I want to call you to repent of your belief that you are bigger than God and put your faith in Jesus Christ rather than yourself. It's important. What else? If God was powerful enough to save you when you had no hand in it, He's powerful enough to do a whole lot more too. Yeah, He can keep you secure in it. Yeah. If if God took away the penalty of sin, which is death, so we know that death is, has been wiped away from us. Paul says, Oh death, where is your sting? Where is your victory, O death? You've been defeated because of, of the power of God in Christ to save us. And that would change things, right? If we really did believe that, that death has been defeated, we'd live lives that are truly free, right? Without the fear of death. What else? It is. It is. That's why we need to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves and one another. That's why it's just good news isn't just a past reality and we go, oh, man, I'm glad I'm in. Glad that's done. What's next? No, it doesn't work that way. We continue to believe what we believed at first. We just believe it to a greater degree because all of us in our hearts are still unbelievers. So the way to freedom is, is to actually call ourselves to belief over and over and over again. So the ability to forgive other people, even those that have harmed you deeply. Because here, if you don't believe that Jesus has been your atoning sacrifice, if you don't believe that He paid a sufficient cost to wipe away the penalty of all sin, then you will look to somebody else to pay that price for you. Particularly somebody who's harmed you. And rather than forgiving them, you'll hold it against them forever and ever and ever, which will keep you enslaved as well. If you believe the, the gospel that the penalty of sin has been dealt with once and for all, Hebrews says there was one sacrifice for sin once and for all so that everyone can be justified in him. You know what that means? You can, by his grace and power, let everyone off the hook. 
You don't need to look to anybody else to be an atoning sacrifice because you have one. You don't need to live your life in blame as well as shame for yourself. You can forgive yourself and you can also forgive those who have harmed you. So it means to, to, to believe this thing called the gospel. So I just want to ask, is that you? Are you experiencing that? That increasing joy and peace and freedom from guilt and shame that comes along with believing this. Do you know that you've been saved from the penalty of sin? I just want to remind you, your guilt has been taken from you. Your shame has been covered by the righteousness of Christ. God sees all that Jesus did when He looks at you. He doesn't just see your imperfection. He just doesn't just see someone who messes up over and over again. God knows you were going to mess up. That's why He sent His Son in the first place. He knew how messy you were when He went to the cross for you. And now it, He doesn't look at you through eyes of shame and guilt anymore. He looks at you through the eyes of what His Son has done on your behalf. And so you can be free. It's good news, right? Through the Gospel, though, it gets better. It continues to be good news. Because we're being saved from something today as well. The gospel didn't just happen in the past, but it's happening today. God didn't just die for our sin and then leave the rest of our lives up to us. God who began a good work in you will complete what He started because that's what He does. Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of, of Christ... He does not belong to Christ. I don't know about you, but I, when I was coming to faith in Jesus, a lot of people were saying that the way that you have assurance that you're part of God's family is just pray a prayer and then write down the day that you prayed that prayer and you look back at that day and you go, yep, I prayed the prayer, I must be in. The Bible never says to get assurance that way. Do you know the, the way the Bible says to get assurance? says, ask, have you experienced the Spirit of Jesus coming into your life to remind you of the Father's love? Because we have the same Spirit who cries out to God, Abba, Father. And so if, we can, if we've experienced the love of our Abba, Father, our Heavenly Father being poured into our hearts, if we've known that love ourselves, if we've heard Him speak to us and experienced His presence and His love to us, that is the assurance that the Bible gives us that we belong to Him. And if we don't have that assurance, it doesn't matter what prayer we pray. I know that might be a hard thing to, to recognize. And so we, we may have to give our lives over to Him again. And that's okay. You can do that today if you need to. He goes on to say, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. And so He's saying, just as Jesus rose from the dead because the Holy Spirit lived in Him, we too are now empowered by the same Spirit to live different lives today. And it's as if Jesus' resurrection from the dead is now changing us from the inside out, that we're getting a taste of God's power right now. See, because one day Jesus is going to return to rule over everything. He's going to, he's going to come back and there's going to be perfect peace and love and, and, and a society that, that God intended it to be. But today, guess what the Spirit's doing? He's bringing that future reality back into the present. 
He, he's bringing it into the present. How is He doing that? Through you, if you belong to Him. We are, if we're the church, then we're people who are being saved on a daily basis to live a new life in the midst of a broken world so that the world can actually see Jesus Himself breaking into this reality. That they can see, taste and see that the Lord is good. And God wants to use you to do that if you belong to Him. And so it means that we shouldn't walk around with our, our lives going, you know what, I'll try harder next time, or I'll do better this time. No, we should say, God, will you come and fill me? Will you save me? Will you live in me today and change me from the inside out? Because only you can do it. See, if you're children of God, then that means that you have God's resurrection power in you. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? See, there's no, absolutely no reason to walk around in this world hopeless that you will never gain freedom from the things that have conquered you before. You have the universe maker in you. I mean, think about that for a second. The one who, who made the billions of stars and calls each one by name is the one that's empowering you today. So you have the same spirit that Jesus had. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed how often I revert back into unbelief on this one. How, how often I get up in the morning and I think, well, it's up to me and it's about my effort and what I can do to change my circumstances and, and, and feeling guilt over the fact that I haven't gotten better over time or that I still struggle with the same things that I struggle. And all my focus and all my attention and all my energy is focused on me. Have you ever had those days? Are you having one of those days? See, Jesus isn't content just to save you from the penalty of sin and allow you to live a life of sin. He wants so much more for you than that. See, if you're in Christ, you literally have God walking around with you and in you. This is important for us to realize because as we get, move into what it means for us to be the church together, the worst thing that I could possibly do is to call you to live a life that looks like Jesus without the power of Jesus enabling you to live it. That would be the worst thing I could do. And the worst thing that you could do is believe that you're capable of living a life that's fruitful without Jesus himself empowering you to do it. We need him. So let me ask this. What would change about our lives if we believed this? What would change about your life if you believed that you are being saved, that the Spirit of Christ lives in you right now? What would change about your week this week? What do you think? You might actually look forward to what God is going to accomplish through you. In case of ha- in, instead of having a case of the Monday, tomorrow morning, if you believed this, I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus was dead in a tomb for three days. Everyone wrote him off and said, man, he was such a great teacher. He had so much power. We put so much of our hope in him. And he's been rotting in a tomb for three days. Gosh, what are we going to do now? 
And then on the morning of the third day, what happens? He raises from the dead, and then he goes and ascends into heaven, and then at the day of Pentecost, he sends his spirit down upon his church so that they can live out the very same life that they saw Jesus living out. If you believed that tomorrow morning, how would your life change? It would change if you believed it. It would. Yeah. You'd be bold. You might wake up and you go, I have no idea what you're going to accomplish today, Lord, but I trust that you're going to do some amazing things. I'm going to get to see some stuff that, that I would never ever think that I could possibly do. But you're going to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really about him, right? And not about us. that God might actually use you to affect change in someone else's life. That the things that pop up in your world aren't just inconveniences and problems for you to deal with. They may actually be opportunities for you to see God work through you in ways you didn't believe before. And what if you encountered those things with a new reality going on in your heart and your mind? Now, I, I think one of the things that we would do is we would attempt things that seem crazy to us. You know, I have no business doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I believe that God can do it. And if I fail, so what? The penalty's been taken care of for me. Even if I risk and fail, it's better to have faith in Him than faith in myself. And God loves that. And He honors that. And He values that. And we'd be filled with joy. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, to be, and that's a good point, right? Because we often think of being used by God as God kind of not valuing us and just kind of throwing us away. You know, well, I'll just, I'll kind of throw this person at that problem 
and uh, and because I'm God and they're not, I have the ability to do that. And then and we think that what will result is us getting exploited. And nobody wants to be exploited, right? But that's not the way that God operates. God uses us to actually reveal himself in us so that we would be more valued, so that we would understand that God does care for us, he does fill us, he does use us. It could change everything. And then last, we, we will be saved from something as well. We will be saved actually from the very presence of sin. That there is a day coming when sin itself will no longer exist. First Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in His great mercy He has given us new birth, that's, that's the past, into a living hope, that's the present, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance, that's the future, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, the gospel isn't just a past reality. It's not just going on at the moment. It's also a future reality that's going to take place. Jesus died and he rose again, and he will return again to set everything broken right again in this world. And the reason that we can know that, the reason we can bank on it, and have faith in it is because Jesus always finishes what he starts. We know that because he rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, he will come again. See, and if you're in Christ, then your inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So that nothing can spoil it and nothing can take it away. It's secure in his hands, not in your hands. And so the Bible says no one can comprehend what God has in store, what God is keeping secure for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like I said before, it's a world of no shame and no fear and no sin, a, a, a place of perfect peace and perfect love for one another. I, I don't know if you thought about this, but it's not just a worship service that goes on for eternity. I, mean, I, I used to think that was like the worst idea of heaven. Like you get to heaven and you sit on a cloud and strum a harp in a worship service, or you sit on really uncomfortable seats and listen to a sermon that never ends. I know, I've been there. <coughs> I just want to let you know, if that's your reality of what heaven's like, you have sold God short. God, He doesn't just intend to give us this disembodied place called heaven. He's actually bringing heaven to earth when He comes. That means this world, the one that we enjoy, the, the things that we love to do, and, and the community that, that we love to be a part of, all of that will be existing and get infinitely better in such a way that you could not imagine what it's going to be like. And it's secure for you. Here's the thing. If you don't believe that that is secure for you, regardless of what happens in this world, you will not live your life the way that you should you will live a lesser reality to the way that you go about life. One of the, the byproducts of not believing this in our hearts is that we'll go through life full of fear rather than full of faith. We'll fear our circumstances. We'll feel, fear things getting worse. We'll fear death. We'll fear what other people think of us. 
what conclusions they come to us. I remember um, a, a few years ago, first uh, Halloween, we're coming up on Halloween again, and um, our, our community group decided to get together and we were going to do a front yard thing where we, and uh, many of you have done the same thing over the years, where you, you cook hot dogs for your neighbors because the parents are starving because the kids want candy and nobody eats dinner. And so they, so <laughs> just a hot dog, you know, as they're coming by and that, you know, it's incredible good news to a parent <laughs> that's going around with their kids. And uh, we put the fire pit out front and had kids roast s'mores. And um, we were on a really busy street uh, before we moved. And, uh, and so in order to keep the kids safe, one of the things that I had to do was put up kind of like a safety net, like one of those, you know, uh, little fences where you put it in the ground and then you string it up. And I was the first one home. I got off early from work to try to set this up before the rest of our groups that got there. So I'm out there all by myself, and I'm putting out the fire pit, and I'm, I'm putting up decorations, and I'm putting out this fence. And people are in rush hour because they're driving home from work to get their kids so that they can go out and get candy, hopefully get our hot dogs. And, uh, and I, I'm standing out there going, man, people think I am such an idiot right now. <laughs> like, what in the world are these people that are stopped in traffic? They have nothing to do but look at me <laughs> and watch me construct a fence in my front yard to give out candy. Like, nobody does that in run me. What in the world are you doing? You know, and all of this is running through my mind as I'm getting these things ready. And it's funny because, um, so fast forward a few years, and uh, on last Friday our, our community group got together and we showed a, a we did like an outdoor movie for the kids. And uh, Matthew is the one that constructed. He I let him kind of be the guy out front first uh, to <laughs> to construct the street the screen um, and uh, and and get the chairs out and the fire pit ready and everything. But I, I went out to put the projector on and stuff. And it's interesting because you'd think after several years, I would get to the point where I don't care what people think. <laughs> and yet I'm, I'm pressing like the on button and there's this big blue beam shining on the front of my house. And that same thought crept into my mind. People are going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> See, here's the thing. The, the truth is, when you step out to experience and live in step with the Spirit on the mission of Jesus, blessing those around us, when you live the kind of life that we're talking about, needing the power of Jesus to live, you will experience fear in some way. And it will creep up over and over and over again. And here's the thing that this was I feel like the Spirit was reminding me of. Um, because my very first thought when I had that fear of man creep in again was this is a different neighborhood and people really value community here and so they're probably not coming to those conclusions that I most fear. See, but what am I doing? I'm telling myself that there's nothing to fear based on my circumstances rather than my belief in Jesus. And so the Spirit was like, no, no, no. You don't have to fear not because they're not coming to bad conclusions, even if they did think you were an idiot, you need not fear them. Because I've kept your inheritance secure. I am keeping you for that day. So even if they come to those conclusions and think you're the baddest person that's ever walked into the neighborhood, I still love you and will keep you secure. So you have nothing to fear. And folks, church, 
family, I just want to remind you, you have nothing to fear. Jesus says, if you follow me on this mission, you will experience these things. You will get persecution in some way. And so you can't walk in the fear of what people will do or say to you. You must walk in the fear of the Lord and what He can do for you. Because at the end of the day, He is the one that keeps you secure. I just want to call us to that. See, the truth is, if you don't have the kind of confidence that Jesus will save your life in the end, if you don't believe that the gospel will save you from sin completely, then you will live your life trying everything you can to save your life today. I just want to remind you that God wants to save you. He wants to rescue you from that. God is calling us to do something, I think, that's amazing in this world. But if our hope is in this world, if our hope is in our circumstances, if our hope is in what other people think of us, whether those be neighbors or family or friends or co-workers or bosses or whoever, then we will not see God do what only God can do. See, God does not want us to hold on to this world and miss out on what He wants. And here's my hope, that we would actually believe this. And so I want to I want to call us to believe together. I want to call you if you've, maybe you've never been in Christ before. Maybe you don't understand this thing called the gospel. Maybe the the idea of God rescuing you from the penalty of sin is new for you. I want to call you to believe it. That your guilt and your shame can be removed. That you could be a child of God today. If you've been walking in powerlessness and, and being tired or, or, or not believing that God wants to use your circumstances even today. I want to call you to belief that God can bring His power into your life through His Spirit. And if you've been experiencing anxiety and fear, I don't want you to live there any longer. And God does not want you to live there any longer either. He wants you to put in your hope in Him for maybe the first time. That's the Gospel. That's our deep roots. That's what God's calling us to believe. So let's let's ask Him to help us believe it together, shall we? Father, we thank You that You are saving us. That it's all about Your work. Forgive us when we make it about ours. Forgive us when we think that we have to secure our own future. We have to have the power to live this life out or or we have to live a good enough life to remove the shame and guilt of our sin. None of those things are true. God, thank you 